The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. A few years ago, for the holidays, a friend gave me a mug. It's from this restaurant in Austin, Texas called El Arroyo. Does anyone know? Well, it's a Tex-Mex restaurant that's been around since 1975 and is most famous, I think, not maybe so much for its food, but for this marquee sign that hangs out front that doesn't so much advertise lunch specials as posts humorous sayings, many submitted by the customers themselves. There are now six small collected books of sayings that have been up on this marquee sign and lots of merch, Christmas ornaments, t-shirts, refrigerator magnets. Here are uh, some of what are supposedly the best sellers, the sayings at least. Never laugh at your wife's choices. You are one of them. <laughs> what if soy milk is just regular milk introducing itself in Spanish? Soy milk. <laughs> Welcome to adulthood. I hope you like ibuprofen. <laughs> and 90% of marriage is just shouting, what? From different rooms. <laughs> I have a slightly more meaningful saying that was, that accompanied the mug and is now framed in my office. I'll share it with you so you can imagine this sign. It's a photo of the sign one day that says, it's okay if you fall apart sometimes. Tacos fall apart and we still love them. And the gift that started this whole service off in some ways was this mug. It said, Dear Naps, I'm sorry I was a jerk to you as a kid. The truth is, like Mari, I was never a jerk to Naps. But the world has been, I think. And the truth is that naps are coming back into fashion, I think, at least in some circles, and in part thanks to a minister named Tricia Hersey. So many folks of the last year had mentioned Tricia Hersey and her nap ministry that I took her book, Sight Unseen and Unread, her 2022 book, Rest is Resistance, as the minister's book club book for this month. You can still join. You can do a quick read by Wednesday evening or Thursday noon, and I'll send you the Zoom. But her work began as far back as 2016 with a blog and other social media and a necessity and an experiment. Hersey, who calls herself the Knapp Bishop, tells the story of her work in her book, she was a single mom going full-time to seminary and working or doing free internships 
and had suffered loss, and she says the ongoing trauma of poverty and white supremacy culture, when the reality of this up before dawn, make everyone breakfast out all day in the library at seminary until it closed at midnight schedule and then home again nearly broke her, but also broke her open to, well, what was broken around her. At that point, she did for herself the only thing that she could, the thing that she needed, which was to take rest. Inspired by her maternal grandmother who took 30 minutes every day to rest her eyes, Hersey started to nap. And not only did she knit back together, but she noticed things in this experiment. She started to put pieces together. She noticed that the world didn't value her or rest enough to make room for both of them. She noticed the messages that she was getting that worked against a life of nurture. She noticed how, as she saw it, these messages, ones about our productivity and about our worth and our innate worthiness being tied to our productivity, how they tied back to capitalism, but more than that, tied back to colonialism and the extraction culture of that. And more than that, tied back to her ancestors, black people in America exploited for labor. Her reading of slave narratives came to echo forward. Stories of black folk on farms working in the hot summers, one in particular that a man tells about the work of being up before dawn and working beyond sunset eating food that he and his family had stayed up late to prepare so they could take it with them into the field and eating it, he says, while standing lest any time be lost to rest. These stories echoed forward to a woman who felt as if the world wanted nothing more than to squeeze her dry. And so Hersey started to write about what happened as she prioritized rest and reflected on the whole of it, what her undergraduate training in public health had taught her, but her body knew firsthand, what her experience in the Peace Corps had taught her about the legacy of colonialism in Morocco, I'm sure, but her body knew firsthand, what her eyes and her ears and her critical, alive mind and spirit revealed to her when she stepped back and allowed herself enough rest to see. Hersey writes, the NAP ministry has always been the personal experiment of an exhausted and curious black woman artist except that it didn't end with Hersey. She took the experiment beyond herself. She started not just to write about rest, but to organize collective napping experiences, what I like to call nappinings. In Atlanta, where she lived at the time, Hersey would rent out loft space or whatever spaces folks would let her use, and she'd fill the room. Oh, all of our pillows are gone. 
that's so lovely. Um, sorry, she would fill the room with blankets and pillows and soft music and an open invitation would go out and people would come, stretch out on whatever was available, curl up in the space for 30 or 40 minutes together. And as they did, she would walk through the room and bless them, rubbing oil into their wrists or temples, saying, thank you for living, thank you for resting, thank you for resisting. In these gatherings, she watched and she listened to what happened. There were people who would cry, like the woman who said there was no space for self-care in her life. There was the joy and energy of people as they rose together, rested. There were sweet connections that were forged in the vulnerable act of sleeping in one another's company. Hersey writes, I was aware of what rest had done for me, but to watch it transform into a collective healing moment for others has been a complete blessing. What's the blessing? What happens when we rest? The Bishop of Knapp Ministry says this, when we rest, we connect with the deepest parts of ourselves. This is also a moment of intimacy and vulnerability. As we prepare to deal with the harshness of everyday living, and it is harsh, Rest becomes a space of physical and spiritual softness, an antidote to the hidden rage present in an exhausted body. Hersey also names, quote, rest as a beautiful interruption in a world without a pause button. She sees and reflects what she calls grind culture, the one we live in, the one that has less and less space and permission for rest, the reality of which she sees as a violence against body and soul, our bodies and souls, against our humanity, and more than that, too. That culture, she names, is upheld by old, economically convenient, and false notions of religious and civic virtue, Grind culture is extractive capitalism, part of the same culture that separates the rich from the poor, that doesn't protect the marginalized, that enslaves past and present people in ways obvious and subtler to steal our wages and treat our bodies like sources of production only. Percy writes, our divinity as human beings have been ignored and degraded, replaced by shame and guilt, and this is where the protest needs to begin. The insistence to dream, to imagine, 
all of which she thinks and has experienced, begins in rest. Hence, the revolution begun with the practice of a nap, rest, as her book title proclaims, is resistance. I agree with Hersey. I preach periodically about Sabbath for this reason, that ancient, gorgeously structured practice of rest, about how we claim space for healing and reimagining the world. And I bet you all know, and I definitely know, the ways in which grind culture cuts me off in great measure from wellsprings of vitality and vision. The ways in which when we don't rest, we lose something key, also that ability to be stubborn and determined, which is part of what we need also to move the world forward to forge the world we want. So I hear what she's calling us to and a big piece of me, the most important piece of me, says amen. Nap, our good friend from infancy, from nursery school, of spacious, generous vacations, of the beach, of siesta traditions, from wise cultures of old and still now in certain wise places and families. Nap, not a panacea, of course, but revolutions have to begin somewhere, and why not somewhere beautiful and fun? So, If inviting Knapp back into our world, a welcome guest, space and time laid out for us to be with them, if that's a way for eroding grind culture and so much else that the bishop names, I don't know about you, but I'm up for this revolution. Because we all know sometimes you don't need to work harder to get where you want to go. Sometimes you need to rest and dream and imagine another way there and do that. And sometimes you need to rest so we can enter the gorgeous, broken, waiting world the way we want to meet it, be the change we dream of. So, dear Knapp, I'm sorry that some of us were a jerk to you. You were just trying to stop us falling apart like tacos. We get it now. I want us to end this morning's reflection, calling into the space Hersey's maternal grandmother, Aura, with her regular practice of resting her eyes, and who, when asked by her granddaughter, said, I am resting my eyes and listening for what God wants to tell me. May we all make space for what meets us in rest. 
So if you will, just surrender with me for a moment, just a minute. Not because we earned it, because we got up early or made it across the race, or did extra chores or worked a hard week. Just because it's our birthright, to be whole. We connect with the deepest parts of ourselves when we are rested, says Trisha Hersey. It's a moment of intimacy and vulnerability as we prepare ourselves to deal with the harshness of everyday living Rest becomes a space of physical and spiritual softness, an antidote to the hidden rage in an exhausted body. Rest is this beautiful interruption in a world without a pause button. Thank you for living. Thank you for resting. Thank you for resisting. One time, I found my cat napping in the bed like a little human. He was on his back, face up. His head was on the pillow, and he had the comforter pulled up to his chin with his little stick arms outside the blanket, and the only thing that would have made me laugh louder was that if he'd been wearing my sleep mask. He is a true Magaloni Ramos. My father worked the night shift and would attempt to sleep during the day while my very rambunctious brothers and I attempted to keep the noise level inside the house to a faint racket. He became so desperate for sleep that he finally put a cot in his closet. We would laugh and say that while some families had skeletons in their closet, we had our father in ours. Rest was always seen as a priority in our home. No one was ever made to feel bad about taking time to rest. No one was ever asked what we were supposed to be doing. Rest wasn't seen as a misuse of time in my home. Rest was seen as deepening. Poems were written at rest. Guitars were strummed. Books were read. Things were pondered when someone was at rest. I don't remember certain activities being prioritized over, over others either. Anything that was important to any one of us was deemed worthy of enjoyment. My father loved to recite poetry, so we loved it too. My brothers and I spent a lot of time lying on the living room carpet, eyes closed, 
listening to records of poets reading their own works. My favorite was Langston Hughes. I have known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. My mother loved the beach. I don't know what it was about the sand or the air in the Gulf of Mexico, but within seconds of arriving, our super high energy mom would be sawing Z's under her straw hat. My oldest brother loved reading, so books were everywhere, and no one ever asked what we were supposed to be reading. Playing outside was just as important. The message I got growing up was that Life simply had different speeds. My brother Beto was the most creative of us all. One time, we came home from a grocery run and heard a bell ringing. We found a bell connected to a string that had been slipped through a curved nail above the door frame. We followed the string along the wall and up the stairs to find my brother in his bed moving the string which was tied to his big toe. <laughs> 40 years later, it still makes me laugh. I'd say that was time well wasted. Beto was so much fun, we couldn't wait to do nothing with him. Once he convinced us to spend a huge portion of our summer tying thick spools of string together for our kites in hopes that we could surprise passenger airplanes with them. I remember climbing over our elementary school's chain link fence to spend hours in the field flying them. We chewed sweet grass and sour clover as we lay on our backs, languidly scanning the sky for airplanes. As our tiny kite specks tugged on strings so long it faded into the sky. We would talk some, but mostly, we would just be. In between a long science, I remember Beto saying, if you close your eyes, you can feel the world spinning. I closed my eyes. He was right. I don't remember getting a message about what kind of life was worthy of living. It never occurred to me that pursuing acting could be considered frivolous or unrealistic until I moved to Silicon Valley and was openly sneered at by other parents. I wonder about the over-curated and over-scheduled children I saw when I was raising my son, Max. I can't help but wonder what they missed, what joy, what true gifts were extinguished in service of the popular idea of a successful life. I, I don't know if my parents were brave. Some might say they were clueless. <laughs> I'm just glad my family celebrated life, which included rest and unstructured play. It is an inheritance that I have tried to pass on to my son. I made it a point to find a school for him that didn't give any grades or homework. His childhood moved at its own pace. 
He's a junior at USF now. He comes over sometimes just to relax with me. We sit under fuzzy blankets and watch our favorite Scooby-Doo episodes while our cat Kato snores between us. <laughs>